Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining us for another interesting session of the Language Matters podcast. This afternoon, I'm delighted to have with me Erez, uh, who I met at Queen Mary whilst I was a student, and he's he's been he was and he continues to be one of the people who supported me during my time at Queen Mary. So, Eris, thank you so much for your time. I don't take it for granted at all. And listeners, I can promise you that you are in for a treat. So, <laughs> Eris, <laughs> like I normally do, I would want you to introduce yourself to my listeners so they know who you are and a bit about what you do and what you, you, are, you are interested in as well. Yeah, sure. No, so it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much, Mami, for the invitation. It's, it's, it's nice to be able to reconnect with you and have this opportunity to talk about, about my work. So yeah, my name is Erez, Erez Levon. I'm a professor of, of sociolinguistics, uh, and I'm the director of the Center for the Study and Language and Society at the University of Bern in Switzerland, where I came last year after having been a professor of sociolinguistics at Queen Mary for, for 12 years, which is where I met Fami. Um, in my work, in the broadest sense, I focus on um, how different ways of speaking, how, how different forms of language take on specific kinds of meanings, sort of connotations in the social world. So when you hear a particular way of speaking, you think that the person sounds like they're middle class or working class or that they're very feminine or that they're very masculine or even that they're very friendly or very mean. And I'm interested in where those, those associations between language and meaning of that kind come from and then the effects that that can have in people's everyday lives. So if you're somebody that sounds very feminine, for example, does that have an impact on how you are treated and in interaction on uh, the ways in which people perceive you and, and then react to you um, as you go about your life. Um, so yeah, a lot of my work is focused in this area, specifically on questions of gender and sexuality. So looking at how people hear gender and hear sexual identity in, uh, in voices, in speech. Thank you so much. And I think that's essentially what the language podcast is about, you know, trying to flesh out and tease out all these different ways of speaking and how that has an impact on people's lives uh, generally. So, mm. and, and I'm so glad that you mentioned all the important bits about it. But so this afternoon session is focused mainly on gendered communication or gendered language. So if somebody who has heard this word but doesn't really know what it is or hasn't heard it at all, what do we mean when we talk about gendered language or gendered communication? Yeah, so I think there's a really strong belief in a lot of different societies, and obviously it, it depends on the specific culture or society that you're in, but certainly in the UK, in the US, in lots of different places, we have very strong beliefs that, that there is a, a man's way of speaking, a masculine way of speaking, and a women, woman's way of speaking, a more feminine way of speaking. And it's not to say that that's actually true. There's actually been a lot of work that's shown that that's not the case, right? That, that men and women actually speak in ways that are very, very similar, more similar than they are different. But nevertheless, we have these very strong beliefs, these strong ideologies that there are differences. So when we talk about gendered communication, what we're talking about is a certain style of speech that gets stereotypically associated with different gender categories. Hmm. Thank you. So a way of speaking that is associated with 
a particular gender or a particular uh, sexual identity. And That's right. my next question is, um, how do we pick up all these uh, ideas, you know, and it's, it's interesting that we all have them, but I'm kind of curious, how do we pick them up, you know, and how does it get transmitted in society? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's a really good question. I mean, I think a lot of it we're, we pick up because it's something that's taught to us when we're when we're kids. It's, it's something that we're socialized into, into being. I mean, you know, there's there's research that has shown that little girls and little boys are told to speak in different ways that, you know, uh, little girls get um, uh, sort of criticized or reprimanded if they're if they're being too loud or if they're being too talkative, if they're being too quote unquote bossy in ways that boys aren't. And that's part of the way in which we teach children that there is a way to talk like a girl or to talk like a woman. And there's a way to talk like a boy and talk like a man. And so we, I think we police the language practices of young women and young men very, very differently. And that's how these stereotypes get reproduced and get perpetuated. Mm, that's so true, because I remember very well that when I was in senior high school back in Ghana, we were told that girls are seen and not heard. You mm. know, almost a taboo to be heard speaking out loud or even laughing out loud. And that was considered as not being ladylike. Right. It, it really, really shaped what, how I grew up. And even till now, I find it difficult. I sometimes find myself asking myself, I'm not, I, I shouldn't be doing that because that's what I've been told. <laughs> exactly. The, yeah. But you, exactly. like you pointed out that is not the case. You know, well, yeah, precisely the fact that we have to tell this to girls, that we have to keep repeating, you know, women or girls should be should be seen and not heard. It shows that that's not what women and girls are doing. Right. It's always a good indication of, of we're actually being forced to sort of train them, to teach them to behave in a particular way. In the same way that we, you know, boys are told they shouldn't cry, they shouldn't sound too emotional in their use of speech. So there's lots of this kind of policing that, that is happening on, on both sides. Yeah. Okay, so my next question is, how does it, you you did mention the fact that it affects, it has an effect, you know, it, there's, we have this, its consequences is seen in how we live our everyday lives. And it, it's mm-hmm. I want us to narrow it down. What are some of the impacts of these expectations that society has on, on all of us? Yeah, so this is really the, the sort of the field of language and gender studies. So the sort of linguists who started thinking about these questions about gender, it really started um, with precisely this question. So how, how is it that these stereotypes that, that we have that I've already mentioned, how do they actually affect people's lives? And the first linguist to really talk about this was Robin Lakoff, um, an American linguist who, who published a very well-known book in 1975 called Language and Woman's Place. And in it, she talks about these stereotypes, these expectations that women have to act like a lady is the term that she used. And she talked about the ways in which women are punished when they don't act like ladies. And so she said that what this does is it places women in what she calls a, a double bind, where essentially if you do what you're expected to do and you act like a lady, then that's fine, but you're not heard as sounding authoritative or powerful or even intelligent, right? Whereas if instead you want to sound authoritative and powerful and intelligent because you want to reach a position of authority, 
then you have to break the, the rule that says you're supposed to act like a lady, and then you get punished for not acting like a lady. So she essentially says that women, her quote is that women are damned if they do and damned if they don't. There's not really a way for a woman to either uh, sort of, you know, accommodate society's expectations or get the position of, of power and authority that, that she deserves. So, and then there's been a lot of work that has shown that, for example, in employment context, say you're in a job interview, we have certain expectations of what we're looking for in a candidate. We're looking for a candidate who is knowledgeable, who is competent, who is rational, and all the ways of speaking that we stereotypically associate with these, with these characteristics, with knowledge, with competence, with, with rationality, these are all things that we associate with what's heard as a masculine way of speaking, what's heard as men's speech. And so a woman in that situation, in a job interview, is confronted with this, this uh, double bind that Lakoff talks about. Does she accommodate society's expectations and risk not getting the job? Or does she speak in a way that is necessary in that context, but then she risks being considered shrill or bossy or not friendly or not feminine? And so then she might also not get the job because she seems like somebody that people don't want to work with. So it's, it's a very tricky situation and you can see it time and time again in different kinds of contexts. Mm, so, so, so true. And even, um, you know, when, so, I mean, I, I, when I think about it, my thought is that women are so disadvantaged in so many ways, you know, probably because I was speaking because I'm a woman, but I can see this through this playing out in so many ways. And you know what, you get judged for speaking in a particular way, especially when you're in a position of authority and you want to get things done. So isn't it funny how society operates that we expect women to speak in a certain way, but we expect that when you are in a position of authority, you should be able to speak in a certain way. And but when when they do, they unfortunately get judged for speaking in that way. Exactly, exactly. And I think an excellent example of this is you look at women politicians. So there aren't many of them, but obviously there are, say, world leaders, some selection of world leaders who are women. And look at how their the communication style and their language is described in the media. So you get women very consistently being described either as being emotional and that's a bad thing because a politician is not supposed to be emotional or they get described like, you know, Margaret Thatcher as a battle axe or Theresa May as uncaring and cold and distant. Whereas we would never think about describing a male politician as, you know, uncaring or cold or distant. That's just what we expect. So once again, it's the same, it's precisely what you're describing. It's when women do get to positions of authority, they're, they're criticized um, for either speaking like authoritative people or for speaking like women. I'm sure you probably don't have an answer to this question, but you might have thought about it. What do we do? You know, mm. firstly, what should women do? What would you suggest that women can do? And all of us generally, when you finish that in society, especially when we are trying to create workplaces that are inclusive, diverse, and equitable, how can we solve this challenge? Yeah, it's a really tough question. And I wish I had an answer to it. I mean, I think in an ideal world, what I, what I would like to say is that, that people should learn how to listen differently. People should learn how to not judge people on the basis of their language and really just 
actually listen to the content of what they're saying as opposed to the style in which it's said. But that's clearly a long-term project and, and sort of a wishful project. Um, and I absolutely understand why many people, many women, you know, have to make accommodations in a given situation, have to sound authoritative, have to sound competent. And so then they're put in a situation where it means, okay, maybe you won't sound very feminine, maybe you won't sound more friendly, but it becomes a, a kind of balance. What is more important to you right now? Is it more important to you that people take your authority seriously? Or is it more important that people find you nice and friendly? But again, it's very difficult to, to disentangle these things because sometimes too, if people think that you're sort of not properly gendered, then they won't take your authority seriously either. So it is a very, very difficult kind of situation and, and unfortunately not one that I have an answer to. Yeah. But I do think that the broader message thinking specifically for employers or recruiters is even just promoting awareness of the fact that we make a lot of judgments about people, not based on what they're saying, but based on how they're saying it. And to really encourage people to think about is, is focusing on how actually that important? Or would it not be better to focus more on, on the content of people's speech? Thank you so much. I think you've shared some very important points. They're listening differently, you know, we all sort of have to train our ears to be able to accommodate, you know, and not judge someone based on the way that we are speaking, they are speaking. And the other thing that I love you that, about what you said is to pay attention to content and not style, you know, so what mm -hmm. is the person actually delivering and putting across? And finally for women that we should try and strike a balance, you know, <laughs> it's a tough one, but we need to sort of, position ourselves almost like audience accommodation, you know, based on what you want to achieve, speak, speak that way. And maybe mm -hmm. I don't feel too guilty if people judge you because that's what, that's how society is, you know, that's how the world is. So, I mean, whether, whichever one you choose, you're going to be judged anyway. So it's really. Yeah. I think that's the unfortunate reality of things, but yeah. And I think it's, I, I, I do think it's unfortunate that women have to make this choice, but again, you know, if it comes down to, I need to do this in order to get this job, or I need to do this in order to be uh, listened to and respected, then, then you sort of, you have to do what you have to do. Nevertheless, with the hope that maybe hopefully one day this can change. Yeah. And maybe hopefully we need to stop policing the language practices of our children. Mm. You know? Yeah. So I would want your thought on when we transfer this to sexuality, we know that, I mean, there are people who don't necessarily identify as male or female. How do they handle this thing? And how does that even affect them? Because I think that that is even much more complex than what we discuss currently. It is, it is more complex because, because we certainly live in a society in which we see things in terms of these sort of binary contrasts between masculine and feminine. And so people who identify not in either one of those, it's a, it's a very difficult kind of situation. And I think the problem is that a lot of, a lot of listeners don't know what to do with that. They, they want to categorize people as either masculine or feminine. And, and 
uh, I mean, there's, there's in terms of what people actually do with their language, there's a huge amount of, of variability. So, you know, people who don't fit within the binary, sometimes they're, they can be more masculine, sometimes more feminine, sometimes they mix the two in, in creative and interesting ways. Um, and I guess on the listening side is you just you, you just need to accept that again if, if you if you can get to the place where you're not paying as much attention to style and you're just focusing on content, then it becomes less of an issue whether people are are combining in, in, in unexpected or new way. Mm. Thank you so much. I think I mean if for nothing at all, that's you've given people a good reason a good reason to listen to the, these podcasts, you know because. Mm raising awareness about these issues that we don't tend to focus on uh, too much. Before I let you go, Erez, I know you, 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 your, your time, uh, you're, you're quite busy. I just want your final thoughts on what, what I mean, to say to anybody who's in recruitment or anybody who's attending an interview or anyone who is listening to us, you know, all that you've said, if there's, any one or two things you want to live with our listeners, that would be great, especially recruiters, you know, and how they can improve their, their practices. If there are any specific things they can include just to guide others, you know, so that if someone mm-hmm. has come across this before and they're in the position to make a decision on whether they are hiring someone or not, are there any things that can be put in place to guide, to limit this sort of uh, bias? If, if it's a good word to use. Yeah, I think it is a good word to use. And I think that's precisely the, the, the message that I would want to give to recruiters is to say that it's important to recognize that the world as it currently is structured is biased against women and is biased against practices that are seen as feminine. And there's research that shows that even just recognizing that that bias exists helps reduce the effect of bias in say an interview context. So knowing that our expectations of what makes a good candidate have a male bias, have a bias against women, can help you think about, okay, so why did I think that this candidate wasn't good? Why did I think that they were unprepared? Was it really because they were unprepared or was it just because the way they were speaking doesn't necessarily align with my stereotype of what somebody who's competent and prepared is? And is that stereotype based on a gendered assumption about about language? Mm -hmm. So I think being very aware of of, what gets described as androcentric bias, a bias for men, particularly in professional contexts, can actually really help to eliminate it. Mm. Thank you so, so much. So finally, if you can just let our listeners know how they can find you, if someone wants to get in touch with you, if someone has a question, you know, things, oh, you said that, but I want more information. How can people find you? And if there's an email address or a social media handle that you would want to share? Yeah, so I'm unfortunately not on social media at all. I'm, I'm very much a dinosaur, so no social media. But I do have a website that you can look at and all of my details, my email address and, and information about my research is all there. So it's just my name, Erez Levon, E-R-E-Z-L-E-V-O-N.com. Thank you so much, Professor Levon. I really appreciate your time with me this afternoon. And I'm looking forward to having you back you know, to share, to share more insights on the topic. So do have a lovely day and I'm looking forward to when we, we can catch up again. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks very much. And I'd love to come back. So thank you.